0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Amusings, where apparently Leslie and I had some difficulty doing an intro for this podcast.
1: Hello, Hello Les- everyone. Oh, oh, hi, Rachel. Oh.
0: Oops. Anyhow, if you are new to the podcast, this is Amusings, where we chat to different people who make up the hospitality and service industry, but with one small twist. The twist being, Leslie and I have absolutely no idea whom we are speaking to until Adria introduces us. So, whether you are in the house, or driving your car, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts near and afar, enjoy. So... Today's guest has appeared on Broadway and national tours. She is exceptionally talented. She's a member of the Dramatists Guild as well, and is becoming quite renowned for her playwriting. Additionally, she is an advocate for the Asian community, especially with some of the issues that have come up lately in the idea realm inclusivity, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And so I think she's going to have some really fantastic things to share with us on multiple levels. So I'd like to introduce you to my friend Christine Toy Johnson. So I just gave them a really kind of brief overview, Chris, of who you are and kind of what you're doing now. But maybe you can kind of give us the version of where Christine Toy Johnson started and where she is today.
2: Okay, well, um, I usually introduce myself as a writer, actor, advocate for inclusion. The short, long story is that I grew up in the suburbs of New York City with really one single dream to be on Broadway. (laughs) And so I've been fortunate enough to be in three Broadway shows and four Broadway national tours, uh, lots of off-Broadway, lots of television. I live in New York City with my husband, Bruce, and our dog, Joey. And it's just been this incredible journey of being an artist in this time. And I started writing about, I would say 20 years ago, because I was like many writers of color, not seeing stories that reflected my experience. And so I decided to start writing them down. And it has been a very joyous, very fulfilling part of my life over the last 20 years. And along alongside this, I have been doing advocacy work in leadership positions in various organizations. For example, I'm currently the treasurer of the Dramatist Guild of America, which is a trade association for theater writers. I served for eight years or something like that on the Council of Actors' Equity Association. I co-founded an organization called APAC, the Asian American Performers Action Coalition, and other things and so through all of that work which has been hand in hand with my writing and acting careers i have often run across questions from people wondering if we in fact even exist as as writers and actors and people in america and especially in the american theater and i think that's why i also am very intent on always trying to show up wherever I can, wherever I'm asked to speak or to write something or to maybe hopefully influence some thinking surrounding this myth that we are underrepresented because we don't exist. So this has come up in, in small conversations, in large conversations, in industry-led panels, it's just sort of all over the place. And so I do feel like it's part of my life's work to amplify and represent, amplify the idea that we actually do exist, Asian American Pacific Islander artists and people and storytellers, and and that the idea of storytelling reflecting a global perspective is everything. It makes so much sense to me that we actually reflect the world as it is, not only because it's interesting, but because we have the unique opportunity to help shift perceptions about who we are and what we can do, help heal the world. Really, I don't think I'm overstating it. It sounds a little hyperbolic, but I really to, to heal the world in the fissures and larger yeah. than fissures of the uh, canyons of misunderstanding assumptions what's a better word for that lack of empathy for mm. each other mm. for people who are maybe different from who we are anyway so that's the basis of a lot of my uh my work in advocacy i was speaking to another playwright who also happens to be in the education field and we were talking about what could we do, what could the Dramatist skill do to help introduce more works to educators so that the canon that is being studied, starting back in school, how we could expand that canon so that people growing up, reading plays, getting to know different theatrical works might have a broader view of, of the stories out there. And she, this playwright mentioned to me that a lot of educators she spoke to said that they did not have the budget to really go out and buy a lot of plays and and just keep reading different writers who are out there that they might not know and from diverse backgrounds and how they rely on anthologies a lot. So I thought, oh, that is such an interesting point and well taken, really. And I have written a lot of plays, but also a lot of short plays that have been produced all over the country. And I thought, why don't I try to put together my own anthology and get it out there? The first person I was introduced to about this idea as a publisher said that they didn't really make any money from anthologies and They didn't really think short plays had a market. And if they weren't produced on Broadway, no one would really be interested. And I thought, well, I don't really believe that. And also I don't accept that as an answer. So So I um, approached uh, a colleague of mine, Kari Dadsevich, who is a playwright and also who started a uh, publishing company of her own called No Passport Press. She had uh, published something else of mine. And so I approached her and I said, I have this idea. And I told her the short story of what I just told you. And she said, yes, absolutely. Let's do that. So just came out. It's called We Exist, (laughs) five short plays for AAPI women actors. And My husband, Bruce Johnson, we do a lot of projects together. So He's my resident graphic designer. And so I said, can you do something for the cover of this? Here's the title. And he sent it to me, and the font was so gigantic that at first I thought, oh, is that too much? And then I thought, no, actually, there is no more time for subtlety. It is in the most gigantic font we exist. <laughs> and I'm really thrilled that it's out there. In, in the introduction, I write something uh, akin to what I told you, but also that I hope that it is an introduction to some idea that for some people that there are many Asian American Pacific Islander playwrights out there. There are many stories and um, hopefully it will inspire them to look a little more for more stories. My friend Lisa Crone recently said to me, this is a manifesto. I love it. And I love thinking of it like that too, because yes, I've been saying this for so many years and now I'm just putting it out there in different forms same objectives different obstacles throughout my career and advocacy work uh so that's what that is i
0: love it i mean it's so important that i think we enrich ourselves with other people and other people's histories and other people's perspectives and we can't get that in a vacuum and it's frightening now to think about what's happening uh, on the political scene that people are banning books again and they're rewriting history and all these things it's not right (laughs) It's just, it's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And people need to understand that there's truth out there. And the truth may not be what they think the truth is.
2: That is absolutely true. And I, I think that we are in this period of time where we're so afraid of being uncomfortable. Yeah. I've read so many things about why... Some people are against various books and movies and plays and stories because they are afraid. It's all stemming from fear, right? right. They're afraid that it will make someone feel bad about what happened in history. But I think that's essential for our growth. You know, how do we become better people, better citizens of the world, unless we know what terrible things have happened? And there are terrible things that have happened. How do we keep the history from repeating itself over and over again, unless we learn from it? It seems so basic to me, but really true,
0: right? It does. There's so many people that would prefer to wear their blinders mm-hmm. because they only want good things to happen. But the reality is, if you don't have bad things happen, you don't actually know when you have good things happen. Right. And you don't know when you have risen above something or or, or been able to make a mark. I mean, just helping somebody else move, you know, two degrees to the left or the right in their thinking is monumental. And I think that gets lost too much in how things are getting politicized uh, or anglicized, as the case may be. And I think it's wrong. And so I think we need voices like yours out there that are telling these stories and saying these things. And people need to just open their hearts and minds and listen a little bit. Because most of the people that are against things haven't even looked at them beyond their title.
2: Yeah, that is what is really shocking, right? When people are protesting things and they haven't really um, taking a look. and I think that goes to the idea of critical thinking being pushed to the side a lot, which I also think is very sad and not helpful in, in any way to into uh, a world that we hope to be building where we can not only peacefully coexist, but really thrive together as a society because coexistence is not the goal the right goal right is to so, have a complete right.
1: ability to just thrive but be better because of one another and to redefine what even thrive means and what yeah. success means because of that platform and I think what some of the things that we're talking about here is that storytelling is the really cool way of taking those uncomfortable and awkward feelings because it can find relatability in characters and it can find relatability in those stories if the time is taken Mm -hmm. to observe to take them in to let the stories unfold and it takes things away from headline focuses of just what I can digest in in a glimpse and it really unfurls the humanity mm-hmm. relatability absolutely. and humanity in it absolutely. and that's why stories are, are just so cool for that and I'm looking at some of the plays that you've written and there's some really great really focused storytelling on just that what is someone's beginning and how did that impact the things around them
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely agree.
0: Well I personally think Chris is brilliant. Thank you. I also found it this is interesting so I had the opportunity to see Chris not too long ago which was so wonderful and she was in Come From Away which is a musical that was about 9-11. Brilliant she played a, an actual human. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story at all or not but it kind it actually kind of echoes a little bit of the conversation that we're having right now too.
2: Well it was such a Great gift, I got a chance to do almost 1200 performances of the first national North American tour of Come From Away from the very beginning of the tour's inception in August of 2018 until we closed in May of this year. And it is the story, the writers Irene Sankoff and David Hine, a married Canadian couple, I like to call it a 912 story because it really is what happened in the days following 9-11 when 38 planes containing approximately 7,000 passengers were diverted to Gander, Newfoundland when the American airspace was closed on 9-11. And the story really is about how the people of Newfoundland, the Gander and the surrounding communities, open their doors and their hearts and their kitchens to all of these strangers who came from away, which is where the title comes from, and how their community really helped heal each other at this really terrible time. And what I loved about doing, and I played a character named Diane Marson who's modeled after the real Diane Marston, who was visiting her son in, in England and got diverted there and met Nick who he, he was a British businessman who was also coming back to the States to do some work. And they met and fell in love and did not expect to find each other. And they recently celebrated their 22nd wedding anniversary. And they're very good friends of mine now. So what I loved about telling the story all over the country and North America, we played 96 different cities over the five years that we were out without, you know, pesky little shutdown in the middle. Um, what I loved about it, it was to see how people really connected with the idea of the impact one could have by choosing to be intentionally kind, compassionate, generous, and how it really affected their outlook on, and and also they're musing on whether they would be able to do that if they were in the same situation especially because we starting in 2018 and the show on Broadway opened 2 years before that but because we opened in 2018 and we went through of course the shutdown marked 2020 and then we came back in September of 20 you know our country had gone through a lot of different things, different administrations in that time. And it was very interesting to me to see how really hungry people were at each time in that five years for a story that made them feel like good things were possible, that Our better angels could, in fact, emerge, that we could choose to be kind to each other. And it was really heartwarming to see that the younger people, people of all ages, but younger people who weren't even alive back in 2001 and how inspiring it was to them. So yeah, that's in a nutshell. Come from way took a, me on on some wonderful journeys all over the all over Canada and the U.S. and um, it was a great opportunity, especially at this stage in my yeah. career.
1: So with traveling and acting, with writing and advocacy, explain to a layperson. I do I do none of these things, so I don't understand. <laughs> Are you writing when you're on the road? Is this something that you just keep going at it and And then my second part of the question is, how do folks get more engaged with the theater? How do they learn about these amazing stories that have now maybe even come and gone from their city? And how does that happen that you can seize these opportunities to see these
2: stories? Well, so I I don't sleep a lot. (laughs) I would not, it doesn't sound like it's possible, frankly. (laughs) I do, I I was writing down some things um, that I was working on because Adrienne had asked me a couple of questions ahead of time, right? I have something like six projects going on right now in various stages, Uh, writing projects and uh, various things. And so I thrive on that. I, I am definitely someone who loves multitasking and, and I get a, a, a kind of creative burst of energy. And if, for example, I'm writing a new musical with somebody and I'm waiting for my composer to send me music to some lyrics I've already written, but I'm already in this mode of creating, then I will shift and work on another one of my projects. Right. Uh-huh. And I tend to, you know, honestly, because. I've spent so much time unwilling to accept uh, a closed door, <laughs> yeah. um, creating my own door to open and go through. I have continued to create opportunities to get my stories out there in various ways for example i like to write a lot of grant proposals for my own stuff because i just believe when there's something that i really believe in most of my projects are social action based i find that it invigorates me to write a proposal where i have to boil down the narrative and the who what why where and very succinctly and then give myself a deadline for a proposed project so that actually i've been doing for the past, I would say, 14, 15 years. Um, and the two things I have coming up are that are grant related are um, a screening of a short musical film that I just made. I produced it. I wrote the screenplay and lyrics with another collaborator, Michael Mott. My husband, Bruce, directed it. He edited it. See, I told you, we, we have a lot of projects that we do together. I wrote a grant proposal for the opportunity to screen it here in New York city. It's very expensive to do that in New York city, but we got the grant that's happening at the end of October. In the meanwhile, Amazing. I was writing the press releases and getting out the stuff, you know, about that and, and getting the event ins- insurance. And, you know, there are all of these things that go in into that. I have a solo play with music that I started writing it in 2021 it's had a couple of development opportunities, again, because I applied for grants to, mostly so I could pay people, my collaborators to jump in with me. And that, uh, I have a grant to, to do a, a presentation of it in New York in December. And then a theater company, the Abington Theater Company that I've been working with, it's an off-Broadway company, is helping me by putting it on their season as the one night only event. And so the, between the two of us, we were able to get the word out to various uh, subscribers of theirs and then my own networks and communities. So I don't know if that answers your question about getting the stories out there. I think there's so many avenues and different combinations of avenues to try to do that because I do have a lot of plays that are sitting inside my computer that have not seen a stage yet, or they've been in readings or they've been published in excerpts or been discussed at theaters. So I think there are a lot of different ways that if you're as stubborn as I am, you can find a way to get your stories out there. But I feel like a lot of times I have 10 full-time jobs. And the thing that I discovered when I got off the road, because as I said, I'd been traveling for for almost five years and I've got home and I hit the ground running. I had a lot of different projects going on in various stages, as I said. But I wasn't doing eight shows a week and traveling, so all of a sudden I was like, "Wait, I have my full day. I get up at like you know stupidly early for someone who works in, in the theater, like five thirty or six in the morning, and I and I work and work and work and work and have my meetings and all this stuff, and then I could have dinner and watch a television show. It was like, what? You know? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's been kind of a revelation to, <laughs> to do
1: that." Well, I'm thinking if I was a young writer, and I'm hearing, I think that that you've you've got a skill of stubbornness, which is really important. It's not just stubbornness as an attribute. I mean, you really worked at that, and you said it beautifully that you were unwilling to accept closed doors. That can be really difficult on the confidence level. Yeah. So how are you keeping up? Because that's I was just envisioning myself there, especially at certain ages, and I know there's going to be listeners that. And I think I've met a lot of people that have said like, "Oh, I've I've written this thing, and I just I I, I didn't do anything with it, or I, I I thought I was too scared to get a no, or I got a no, so I guess just yeah. okay. I, what is that that keeps that just like oh, that's just the first no? Yeah,
2: <laughs> well you know on. what? Also, <laughs> also I do believe that sometimes you have to paint a painting. Just to, because you want to paint a painting. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just want to create something and you want to write down a story, and it's fine if nobody sees it. But on the other hand, there are going to be things that you hope to get out into the world and share the message or the feeling that you hope to create or the inspiration you hope to share. And, you know, I started as an actor and I still am obviously working as an actor, but. I always say this against all odds. I've been making my living in this industry for my entire adult life since I graduated from college. And so when I started writing, I thought, Oh, great. I have just taken up another way to get rejected. That's amazing. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> but you, in a one way it, you know, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It, it It does hurt still, you know, to get somebody to, say no or uh, like this short film that we made I'm so proud of it I think it's beautifully done on from all the different uh people that we brought together entered it into all these film festivals although that wasn't the goal the goal really was to have a work sample a really beautifully produced work sample for people who perhaps don't have the attention span to read a script to say here is fifteen minutes you can watch and you can get a really good idea of the writing, the music, the direction, the the acting, everything in it. So I've applied for all these film festivals, just eager to share this story, and we got accepted the very first one that we we applied for. But then we've gotten a series of rejections, and part of me thinks, what? How could that happen? This is so good. And I believe in it. I'm not saying that in like a a sort of way. I just, (laughs) I believe in it. And so I think there is a way you could be like, I think we find ourselves at the fork of a road often. I could go either go this way and think, oh, it's not as good as I thought. I'm just going to be sad now. Or I'm going to go the other way and say, well, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Nothing is for everybody. They chose not to include us in their festival it's fine. I still believe in it and we'll find other places for people to see it. So I do think it's definitely a skill to come up with this kind of really thick skin and to keep the faith in your own work. And that has come with time. That has come with working really hard, developing my skills and honing my craft and being open to... The idea that your stories still matter and they're still worth telling, even if somebody out there who is in the position of deciding things might not resonate with it. Because the lens through which they're looking at the story isn't in sync with yours. And that's okay. It's really okay. I mean, I'm sure I would love it if everyone looked everything I ever wrote or did, but then it probably, like Adrienne, you said earlier, you probably wouldn't be able to appreciate as much the times when you are in sync and the story you want to tell is in line with someone else's who is in the position of amplifying that. Yeah, very true. It's not just a
1: skill to have tough skin. I think it's also gotta be a skill to have tough skin, but also be open to feedback. The show is a little easier than than that part of it, but you're also pushing to be involved in a community too. so that's that's the other side of it. Yeah, you <laughs> the,
2: the thing about feedback it's it's really interesting. Jason actually is the one who got me to look at this in a, in a, a different way in that a lot of times people want to rewrite your play and it's not it's not for them to rewrite. So it's good to hear what yeah. people think. But I don't always think that you should assume that somebody else knows your story better than you do. A, B, <laughs> B, but but that said um, when you're developing a new work and you get certain kinds of feedback, what Jason taught me is to look at that feedback and look at it for why they're having that comment or that question. What is it really that could be productive about knowing that response if it's not something that you wanna hear? Instead of taking it as criticism uh, on face value, Taking it as, oh, this means this maybe is not clear in my storytelling. and I can use that in a productive way to make something clearer or stronger, to yeah. amplify my own vision, not theirs, but right, to, really, right. to bring out what I really want to say. So it, it's tricky. Uh, I'm not saying that you should never take into account what anybody else thinks, but I do think that you shouldn't always assume that they know your story better than you do. Mm-hmm.
1: So Adria gets to introduce Rachel and I to these amazing folks that she's met all along the way. And a lot of them have been in Broadway and in theater production. And I'm so excited to hear from you specifically because you have so many different kind of aspects into that world, not just from from the actor, but also from as the writer. Um, And it sounds like a lot of production as well. So for somebody like me, who that's not what I'm going to be doing, how do we find these stories if we don't have our apartment right sitting on Broadway and get, just go pop on to the theater? What are ways that I can keep my eyes and ears open for really great storytelling and support people that are that are putting their stories out there?
2: That's such a great question. So my first response, fortunately, we are living in a world where we can... Have access to so many people. But one of the things I was going to mention, because I happen to host a podcast for the Dramatists Guild called Talk Back, and we are really talking about how the intersection between inclusion and community. And I talked to a lot of different playwrights about how they are navigating all kinds of facets of the industry, including finding their artistic homes. Season five is coming out in October. We're calling it igniting the canon, uh, which speaks to something I mentioned earlier about how do we teach, read, program future classics, Add not canceling. And that's another thing I want to just touch on a little bit, (laughs) not canceling all of the work that has been done, but adding to it and expanding our scope of knowledge. And so That I'm going to suggest because I'm talking to you on the podcast, I'm going to suggest that you can find us on all of podcast network platforms. We're on Broadway podcast network, but also like Apple and all those things. It's called the Dramatist Guild Presents Talkback. And so you might look through the seasons and listen to interviews with playwrights you've never heard of and then look them up and discover that they're doing a production in your neighborhood or you know in your college, whatever. So that's one way. But I do think in New York we're really lucky. We have this incredible book shop called the Drama Bookshop. Lynn Manuel Miranda recently and some of his colleagues recently saved from from going under. And I sometimes I wander through that place and it's so incredible because there are anthologies and there are collections of plays, just plays and plays and plays that you might not never have heard of and you might be moved to pick up something like that. Um, the nopassportpress.org website where we exist is currently featured as one of the most recent publications. That could be also a website you could look at and you, you'll see a lot of different playwrights that you might not know and little synopses of their plays. One of the things I interviewed somebody, Stephen Kaplan in season five of Talkback, he is an educator and he said that one of the things they do is uh, get to know the playwrights in the community where he might be teaching a class. So f- for example, where you live, there mm-hmm. might be, there probably are sure. local playwrights that you have not been introduced to yet, Right? But I bet there's a place where- you could find out about what they're writing about
1: i'm in hot springs arkansas which does have hot springs film festival is one of the longest running in the country and hot springs is also a national park so it's a beautiful setting so even whenever i was growing up because of there's a very very art and theater especially nod in this particular city because of the film festival that's here. There's always this kind of promotion of doing that kind of thing that, that stuck with me from even going to school here and growing up here. But I can see where it's not there for everybody. It's just not on top of mind. Do you think of going to the movies instead of, hey, let's take an extra beat here and figure out what other theater opportunities are available to us tonight? You know? Yeah. I think it's a time for get people that aren't connected in with the audience the general audiences (laughs) to to be
0: hearing these different kinds of stories emotionally being in a theater seeing you know seeing something happen yeah that you are in the space with is very different from a film experience and I think a lot of people when they have that first opportunity to go and see something live um in
2: the theater it's transformative Mm -hmm. absolutely the alchemy of sharing the space and experiencing the story together is really unlike anything else.
0: And the audience feeds those on stage Absolutely. across the apron, not just the actors, but it also influences the crew and it influences the orchestra mm-hmm. and it influences so many different parts of it. And I think alchemy is a perfect word for it, Chris, actually. That's what it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's a yeah. science experiment sometimes. <laughs> and I think it's probably since pandemic. So, Chris,
1: my background's in water parks, theme parks, so we had to go through pandemic stuff with. So there's there's that portion of it. And we often in that world, whenever you're managing, we like to reference some theater words, like it's like we're on stage and the, the gate opening is like the curtain opening and things like that. And there is a lot of similarities. However, really getting to meet a lot of the folks that are pro- that are professional performers, writers, and putting together these stories. I think that it is something that does get missed by the general public. And I think during pandemic, one of the things that I really appreciated after we got to start opening up theaters again and things like that, I wasn't thinking about going to the movies. I was like, Hey, I've seen like a play in a long time. And that's what I want to do is be more involved in that type of experience. And I, I would assume if it's happened to me, maybe for others too, and just find ways. Because they're out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that. Being part of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually being in the presence of other people. So we are coming up on time, Chris, believe it or not. It's been just amazing having the chance to talk with you further and hear all the wonderful things that you're doing and focused and brilliant articulation of what's going on in the world and the need for people to understand, see, read, visit check out works that maybe they're not familiar with or they've heard about um, and really take their own investigation as opposed to what the person next door is saying about anything. But with that, Leslie, what are your takeaways? I think an important point here that you
1: kind of reiterated to me is about not accepting the closed door and how I think, Chris, you, you made a statement that was really important, which was that you had to get good at that. Because there was kind of always an assumed closed door just based on whatever bias you might be up against. And being good at that is not necessarily something we want people to be, (laughs) but it is a really unique thing. And I'd encourage anybody to be not accepting of their closed doors if they have something to tell, which I think is pretty cool.
2: You know, I, I heard somebody say this, and I wish I could attribute it to the person who said it. Um, we keep trying to be invited to the party. Yeah. We are the party, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that goes hand in hand with being quote unquote good at it in, in terms of accepting your own worth and the importance of your voice and making sure that you still find a way to to have it be heard. Very cool.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time and thank for sharing. You. It's been, as always, it's such a treat.